Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. With me today is Dr. Stefan Hussey. Dr. Hussey is a doctor of chiropractic and functional medicine practitioner. He attained both his doctorate of chiropractic and his master's in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of the Western States in Portland, Oregon. He's a health coach, speaker, and author of two books on health, The Health Evolution, Why Understanding Evolution is the Key to Vibrant Health, and Understanding the Heart, Uncommon Insights into Our Most Commonly Diseased Organ. I just started reading that second book a few weeks ago. Really love the book. I'm about halfway through it right now. Highly recommend you go and pick that up. In addition to chiropractics, he does a lot of work on metabolic health. He guides patients and clients from around the world back to health using research. He uses different health attaining strategies. In his downtime, he kind of spends time outdoors, playing sports, reading, writing. He spends time with his wife, his pets. He's a very active guy, very involved guy. You're going to be very, very impressed with him. So if you want to link up with him, you can find him on Instagram at Dr. Stefan Hussey. You can also find him on YouTube. You can find him on his website. Go to his Instagram page. He's got a bio there, a little link in the bio thing. You click on that and you can get to pretty much anything uh, that he offers from that. So with that, Dr. Hussey, thank you for joining us. Super excited to have you. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm excited. So it, it sounds like you've had quite the journey, kind of reading your book, you know, you were diagnosed with type one diabetes at age nine, you tried a vegetarian diet, you lived in Ireland for a while, you've kind of done it all in one sense. Can you kind of fill us in a little bit on the details of kind of early life for you? Why did you choose a vegetarian diet? How'd you end up in Ireland? What was it like getting diagnosed with the diabetes at such a young age, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, it started really early on uh, when I was two years old. Uh, my parents noticed that I was just like having trouble breathing, coughing, wheezing, that kind of stuff. Um, and my dad had ex experience with asthma, personal experience himself. So he pretty much knew that, you know, I was probably had asthma. So um, from there, you know, I was diagnosed with, you know, other inflammatory conditions um, as I grew up. So things like uh, irritable bowel syndrome, um, but also like I used to break out in chronic hives all over my body. Um, I had terrible allergies, all these things. And then at age nine, that inflammation came to a head and I was diagnosed with type one diabetes where my body attacked itself um, and, uh, and attacked the cells that make insulin. So now I'm type one diabetic. Uh, and so from that point on, my parents and I were kind of thrown into the Western medical system to help you know, manage these conditions and, and, uh, and some of the treatments were successful. Some of them were not. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I went to endocrinologist every three months from the time I was nine to probably by mid twenties. And, um, and yeah, it wasn't until college probably that I mm -hmm. figured out that, you know, I guess potentially what these, you know, practitioners were telling me, um, wasn't always the best advice as well intentioned as it was, it wasn't what was going to allow me to to um, uh, to fully, you know, manage these conditions and even cure most of them. Uh, and so I started a lot of trial and error in college, uh, and found that the, you know the way I lived my life had a direct impact on my ability to manage these conditions. And you know, happy to say that all those chronic conditions are gone, aside from the type one diabetes, which is kind of collateral damage from that inflammation. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have none of those anymore. But you know, in college. I, uh, I was, I majored in health and wellness and, you know, the, the, um, one of the higher ups in that program, one of my professors 
um, was very big on, she'd actually studied, studied under T. Colin Campbell, who wrote the China study. Uh, and uh, so she was very big on a, a vegetarian or vegan diet. And so I was kind of influenced by that, you know, being a pretty young, naive college student. Um, that's the route I chose at first. And you know, going from the standard American diet that I was on to a whole food diet of any sort was definitely a good move. Yep. Uh, but long term, it it uh, it didn't really work, um, and there were issues with it for me personally. Um, so I was probably vegetarian slash vegan for you know, probably two two and a half years, pretty mm -hmm. strict, um, and eventually, you know, wound up getting sick every single month. Uh, having low energy. And, and I was, you know, pretty adamant about it. I did, I tried to do it right, you know, yep. do my research on it, tried to get everything I needed. Um, and uh, it just didn't really work out. And so, um, yeah, so then, you know, I went to, to chiropractic school and got my, my doctor to chiropractic and started learning more and more and trying new things and, and took my first job. Um, I was ready to explore a little bit. So my first job was out in Ireland. Yep. Uh, and, uh, so I practiced as a chiropractor out there for a few years. Um, and that's actually where, you know, I started eating heavy animal products again. Yep. Uh, and you know, my, my health really turned around, I feel like, uh, and I, I joke that, uh, my brain just started firing on all cylinders and yep. I can't imagine how much more I would have learned in chiropractic school. If, if I, if I had not been doing that during chiropractic school, the, the vegan vegetarian thing. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of, you know, and then I, you know, came back to the States and or I met my wife over in Ireland and then, you know, um, we came back to the States and I've been different places. And then eventually, you know, since I'm type one diabetic and, you know, I'm very predisposed to heart disease. Um, I, I, you know, over all this time when I was gathering information about health, I always perked up when I heard stuff about heart disease. And, and you know, one day I decided to start sharing it on social media and, and then people seemed to like it. So I decided to write a book and that's what recently came out. <laughs> yeah, I saw that was released at the start of the year. And I remember in your book too, when you were in Ireland, you said you were grocery shopping and you just saw a rotisserie chicken and you kind of thought, well, that looks good. You picked one up, took it back and you ate the whole thing in your apartment, you said. Yeah, so, yeah. So that was that was uh, an experience that where I kind of listened to my body, you know, because I had yep. been vegetarian, vegan for a long time. And, you know, I had some animal products, but I, I, when I first got to Ireland, I didn't have all my food sources figured out yet. Yep. So I went to like the local, you know, Tesco's of the column, which is kind of like a, a Safeway or Kroger here in the States. Yep. And, uh, and so I just, you know, got some food and I saw that chicken and I was like, well, I don't, I don't have, you know, a way to, you know, you know, um, ideal sources of amino acids for plants. So I'll get this. And yeah, I started eating. I was like, I eat a little bit right now, but I ate the whole thing. And I was just <laughs> like, huh. And then I felt pretty great. And so, and then I was like, well, now I need some more. So I went back and bought two more. Um, <laughs> and so I, it was just kind of that intuition. And I was just like, hmm, this is interesting. And then I also had like the guy I was working with in Ireland was in my ear about things and he really expanded my mind a lot. So, um, so yeah, it was a combination of those things that, that led me away from that diet. Uh, thankfully, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it kind of seems like a little bit of fate there that you landed in Ireland because uh, for those who don't know, Ireland is very big on grass fed, grass finished everything the cows are all grass-fed you're not going to get any grain-fed feedlot stuff like you do in the states here um so it's kind of interesting to me how you know for some reason you just kind of ended up in ireland where all of the you know whole food uh proper pasture raised uh sustainable agriculture thing is the way of life um so it's kind of ironic how that works out at least from my perspective yeah definitely i mean i would tell people 
in Ireland because I'd ask them, you know, what did the cow eat? You know, when I go shopping with them, I go to the farmer's market and they'd be like, what do you mean? It ate grass. Like, yeah. <laughs> are you dumb? You know? And I was like, oh, well, like in the States, they feed them corn. They're like, they feed them what? Yeah. You know? So that's that's ironic wow that's i i can almost like picture that reaction too from them um and undergrad college i was a resident assistant and one of my uh students i kind of had was uh from ireland and the food adjustment for them was like the biggest hurdle they were like you know what is this stuff that you all eat over here and we're like is it different where you're from and she's like yeah like this is not butter this is not like meat mm -hmm. and we're just looking at like you know what we call butter and what we call like a burger or something and you know people don't even realize that it's not the same which mm -hmm. you know you are what you eat so yeah that's really cool so kind of going along with that why did you get over to ireland for chiropractics was that kind of all that was available or you just kind of felt like taking a leap of faith so to speak yeah, it was definitely a leap of faith kind of thing. I, uh, um, I have, a, I guess, a little bit of a, an adventure uh, streak in me, and and uh, and so like halfway through chiropractic school, I took you know four months off and traveled through Central America, and uh, and then you know I was thinking I had a couple of interviews uh, for jobs in various places in the states, and and then I was like, well, Ireland, yeah. And a buddy of mine who was a few uh, quarters ahead of me in school mm -hmm. also had gone to Ireland, and so I was like, hmm. And so, yeah, I just did that and yeah, just, just went, didn't know anybody there. You know, I put my bike in a box and took it with me and, and, um, and, uh, yeah, I was there for two years and, and then, uh, eventually I had to come back, um, because, um, I couldn't get a third visa. Um, they only approved me for so many. So. Gotcha. That's really cool though. Awesome experience. Mm -hmm. Um, what have you kind of learned from all your traveling, not just Ireland, but everywhere you've gone so far, Central America. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I once had this, like, I guess, dream or, or goal of like living in as many places as possible not like, not just visiting there because uh, yeah. I really wanted to experience, you know? So like when I went through Central America, I tried to spend as much time in, in a spot instead of going like city hopping, you know? Um, and then obviously lived in Ireland. Um, but like, I just wanted to know, get to know how people live. And, yeah. and so all the different places I've lived, whether it's in the States or um, different places I've spent a good amount of time. My, my wife um, is, is Hungarian. So I spent a lot of time there yep. um, and just seeing how people live. Um, I, I kind of realized that life is kind of the same everywhere, you know, because yeah. you always have this, this uh, idea, I guess, oh man, it'd be so cool to live there or it'd be so cool to live there. Um, and it's kind of like that grass is always green on the other side yep. um, kind of myth or, or mentality. Um, but yeah, like, everywhere I lived or would get into a routine, you know, life was pretty much the same. I, I would, I would find the same things wherever I went, I'd find a gym or a way to work out. I'd find where the good food, food sources were. I'd find um, people that were into the same things as me. I'd, I'd get up, I'd go to work and I'd end up doing the same things just in a different place. Mm -hmm. um, and it was cool because you got to experience different places and see different and new things. Um, but in general, life is kind of the same everywhere. You end up creating the life that you want to live wherever you are. Um, and, and the only difference really is, is the, is the landscape and maybe the culture and things like that, um, which are good things to experience, but, you know, I ended up creating the same life pretty much everywhere I've been. Yeah, for sure. Now, obviously you've got the chiropractic background as well throughout your travels. Have you kind of noticed any different cultural or social kind of trends that relate to chiropractic? So for example, you know, is there a certain area that you've noticed certain gate deviations or certain things are just kind of 
different in certain populations than others? Um, not necessarily. So, you know, I, I've only really, you know, practiced chiropractic in the United States and in Ireland. Yep. Um, and I've been to other places and, you know, I've, uh, I've seen other chiropractic clinics, like, you know, in Central America, I saw a few in like Guatemala and stuff. Um, and, uh, but I've never really practiced there. Yeah. Uh, and so those are, you know, Ireland and the US are pretty westernized countries. So, I, you know, so I saw a lot of the same things, a lot of poor metabolic health and, and degeneration, which is, you know, stems from poor metabolic health and, yep. and uh, um, uh, you know, structural and, and functional problems, kind of the same kind of things people in westernized societies do. Yep. Um, but that would be really interesting to, to see if like, you know, different countries, um, you know, there were different uh you know presentations of, of pathologies you know that'd be that'd be interesting to see right yeah i always that's something i've always kind of wondered because we look at different cultures in america for example everyone walks around in shoes like if you walk to the grocery store barefoot you would get some weird looks other cultures barefoot is the norm so how are the gate deviations different you know little things like that um so i always kind of try and pick up from whoever I'm talking with, you know, have you seen anything? Because I think that's an interesting field that we often don't explore. And we haven't really explored how those kind of cultural implications kind of carry over when someone's in a different setting. So if they grew up not wearing shoes, and then all of a sudden they come to America, maybe they're coming here for college, for example, and they're wearing shoes all the time, and they're inside more, you know, how does that kind of change things? Um, yeah. I could definitely speculate how that would change things and, and it wouldn't be a positive thing, but, uh, but yeah. For sure. Uh, so the other question I have too is, you know, how'd you get into chiropractics? Because you kind of took that kind of route for health, health sciences, a little bit of nutrition in undergrad. Uh, chiropractics kind of relates to that, but at the same time, it's a little different. It's a little more hands-on than we typically consider health and medicine to be for the most mm -hmm. part. Yeah, it was kind of a, I can't say it was extremely planned out for me, um, but uh, in college, uh, well, I guess my pediatric endocrinologist that I saw when I was a kid, I had a great relationship with him. He was a great doctor. Um, he really helped me understand the disease. I can't say that his recommendations were always spot on, but it's just what he knew, yep. you know, um, and, uh, but he was a great guy. So that kind of inspired me to go into medicine. Yep. Uh, so then I got to college and did, you know, the prerequisites for all that. Um, and then, but when I was in college, I had a different endocrinologist and he was, you know, pushing a lot of medications. Um, you know, he wanted to be on a, a statin drug just because I was type one, not because I had cholesterol issues, um, which is a whole nother rabbit hole. But, um, <laughs> but also he put me, he wanted to put me on a blood pressure medication just because it was a standard of care for type one diabetics, not because I had high blood pressure. You know, at the time of that visit, he recommended my blood pressure was 112 over um, 72. So it's like, that didn't make sense to me. Um, and luckily I had a very headstrong girlfriend at the time who was very like, don't take that. Are you crazy? Like you'll take that the rest of your life. It's, it's not what you need. Um, and then, so, so that kind of, that kind of stuff was kind of in the back of my mind, like, well, maybe I don't want to go to medical school or maybe that wonder why they offered that. Cause at that time I was pretty naive to all this. Um, but then my girlfriend at the time, she got into naturopathic medicine, medical school in, oh, in wow. Oregon. Um, and so we, you know, we, I'm, I'm not married to her today or anything, but we planned on staying together. And so I was looking for schools in the area and there was a chiropractic school there. And, you know, my parents had taken me to chiropractors, you know, most of my childhood. And I'd, I'd been to see one in college and I was having this kind of doubt about, you know, uh, Western medical approaches. And I was just like, well, 
maybe maybe I'll try that. So I applied and and got in. And and uh, and so since she was going that direction too, you know, I went and I had no idea about you know the uh, uh, the philosophy of chiropractic and um, and how there's kind of some disagreement um, between chiropractors depending on schools you go to. I mean, we all have to pass the same boards, but I didn't know there was this you know difference you know of ways of doing things. Um, but I learned all that, you know, as I, as I went through school, but yeah, it wasn't really planned out, but it was, it was definitely me searching for, I guess it was like my original search for like health, you know, yep. it was, yeah, I wasn't getting what I thought was optimal from my medical doctor, which I, I felt was the route I needed to go. Um, but then uh, I saw this other approach and I was just like, well, yeah, let's try that out. Um, and, uh, and that's where I ended up. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, there's something about chiropractics and physical therapy and that kind of realm in general that does things that modern medicine, as we call it, cannot do. Modern medicine cannot cause a cavitation or a cracking at a joint. It cannot do things to restore someone's ability to move the same way as restoring motion at a joint or you know reducing pain through manual non-pharmacological means can. Uh, every medication has a side effect list. I have not seen a side effect list to cracking a joint or mobilizing a joint or anything like that. Mm-hmm. There's a list of people that you don't do it on because of other reasons. Like obviously, if someone just had spinal fusion, you're not going to go and start trying to move that thing. But for the most part, these are approaches that are just good. So I'm kind of with you there in the sense that it doesn't really make sense that we didn't start with what's good and has no side effects because I mean, the first rule of medicine after all is do no harm. So Mm -hmm. uh, with that too, you know, that kind of transitions into this talk about medical reform. There's a lot of talk kind of buzzword lately about reforming the healthcare system, the medical system. What are your thoughts on that kind of tying in what you've seen elsewhere you know how bad is the american system is it as bad as we think is it okay if we are talking about reform what direction should we go yeah i i think that i mean this is a huge topic but it's it's um western medicine is absolutely phenomenal in an emergency you know and it's the it's the only place i would want to be in a medical emergency a life or death situation um but you know after the fact you know the healing from that potential, you know, um, issue that was happening or the prevention of that, or, you know, creating health, Western medicine is pretty clueless. Um, and it's, it's largely because it's, it's based on a model, um, that is pharmaceutical based. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, and, and that's really the only tool. I mean, I, when I went to chiropractic school in Oregon, it's one, I think it's the only city in the United States that has um, a school of each of the major forms of medicine. It has a chiropractic school, it has a medical school, it has a naturopathic school, and it has an oriental medicine school. Um, and so we had this group of, uh, um, uh, we had this group of students from each of the schools that we would get together and we would talk about things, you know, and just kind of network with each other. And we talk about our curriculum in the first two years, it was exactly the same. We learned the exact same things, um, all the basic sciences, all the anatomy, physiology, everything. Um, but then after that, um, you know, the, the medical students were, were this heavy pharmacology. They learned all the pharmaceuticals and how they affected the body. We learned it adjusting and nutrition and things like that. Um, and so 
it's just interesting to see that. And, and like they said that probably 75% of the questions on their national board exams were about pharmaceuticals. Hmm. And so, you know, that just, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yep. And, and so if all you have to treat high blood pressure as a medication, that's all you can prescribe. And you, and you never really got the necessary education to tell you that maybe there's a way that you could either prevent that or, or treat that in other ways, at least try to before you go the medication route. Um, and so that's, that's the main issue is the, is the education is that, that, you know, uh, you know, the title of doctors for some people comes with this, you know, um, I guess entitlement or, or, um, or, or this ego or whatever. And so you learn what you learned and you think, you know, best because you've, you know, spent a lot of time in this education, you're proud of it. Um, and you're, you know, it, it's, it's rare that you, that you see one say, well, maybe I don't know the answer, you know? And so it's just, it kind of creates this system, but then there's also the monetary side of things mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, if you're dealing with insurance companies and the insurance companies are only going to pay for this therapy or this drug, then that's what you recommend because you want to get paid. Right. Um, yep. And so, you know, the insurance companies, um, you know, kind of dictate that the doctors get paid, insurance companies um, get paid because people have insurance and the patients are left with kind of few options and, and poor health. And that's kind of the, this cycle that we're in um, and the way out of it, um, I think uh, the way to reform it, because it's never going to reform itself. Right. Uh, it, it's just not uh, based on the system. There's too many things tying and keeping it there. Everything from the, the financial, um, I don't want to say corruption, but influence, I should say, um, to medical journals, uh, to the influence of pharmaceutical companies in, in, in politics, everything's just something, things are just keeping it that way. So the way that it's going to change is educated consumers. Yep. Um, it, like it has to, because healthcare is a business and it has products. And if the consumers demand better products or different products, the industry will change because everybody is worried about the bottom line. I mean, we live in a capitalist society. That's how it is. Um, so it's going to, it's going to come from people demanding a better product, people waking up and saying, Hey, I'm not healthy. This is not helping me. I want something different. Mm -hmm. uh, and if enough people do that, we will shift the focus. We will take power away from uh, power and money away from, you know, the status quo, uh, and, and we will, we will shift that. So we have to keep spreading the word. We have to do things like this. So people, you know, find out about that so that we can do that. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, I like to say the way America works is if you can follow the money, you can figure out why anything is happening. And the real voting does not occur in early November, every four years, it occurs every time you leave your house and make a purchase everything you buy, everything you do, that's where your voting comes from, your money. So I love that you're kind of echoing that and kind of feel the same way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting too, how, you know, we teach doctors so much, but it's about so little. They are so specialized in certain areas. We have specialists in cardiovascular. We have specialists in neurology, very focal kind of things but we don't always do the best about teaching them about the whole body. And that's where places like chiropractics kind of come in and shine a little bit more, in my opinion, because you learn about the whole body, you treat the whole body and you learn about dysfunction everywhere. Because mm -hmm. if someone has, let's say cardiovascular disease, they probably have a lot of other things going on outside of just issues in their heart. So while sending them to a cardiovascular specialist is a great idea, it's also got a double-edged sword in the sense that you're not getting to the root cause of the problem 
that could be elsewhere. So I yeah. uh, really like that train you're on. And uh, I think it's going to take a lot more people just like you to kind of reform this system, doing everything you're doing, joining the podcast you are, writing the books you are, and doing everything you are on social media. I mean, you've got a really awesome journey, awesome presence. And, you know, your advice so far has been second to none from everything, everything I've seen. So awesome. Yeah, kudos to you, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks. I'll yeah. keep it up. So with that, is there anything else that you kind of want to share about your journey and your current mission on healthcare reform that you want people to kind of take with them? Uh, I think that a very important message in this is to stay open-minded Yeah. Um, because, you know, the, the only way that this is going to change, like we said, is if consumers demand better products and the only way that we're ever going to get collectively to a spot where, where better healthcare is, is, is the norm is if we stop pointing fingers, you know? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so, you know, if we stop getting defensive at other practitioners, well, why they recommend that? Why they recommend this? You know, oh, you're not an expert in this. You're not an expert in that. You know, it's just, we really need to stay open-minded. Um, and, and, uh, and I guess, so I came across these, uh, these studies the other day that say evidence-based medicine is failing. <laughs> um, and it's because, and, and I, I agree with it to an extent. Yep. Um, because, you know, we're waiting for evidence to tell us what to do or how to treat things, you know, mm -hmm. rather than what we should be doing. I came across this other article with, with, a, with a fascinating um, solution um, was that what we should be doing is, you know, we have all these, you know, established treatments and things like that. And we have these other treatments that maybe not as well established, whatever we should, every single time a patient, you know, in a traditional setting, like my clinic or a hospital setting is, is, um, is treated in some way, it comes in with some set of symptoms and is treated in some way, it should be logged as a case study. And yeah. then it should be, it should be searchable. So where you could say like, you know, age of this patient or symptoms of this, and you can look at all the ways they were treated. Um, because that's the only way we're going to find out what truly works, you know, because it, fundamentally, you know, research is, is flawed because mm -hmm. it tries to eliminate all the variables and figure out if one thing does one thing. But, you know, I got news for you. I am never in contact. I never have one variable acting on my body at the same time or at right. one time. And that's it. You know, um, we're not sterile beings. So you can't figure out how I work in a sterile Petri dish, uh, that kind of stuff. And so um, we really need to just start cataloging, you know, what works and what doesn't for people, you know, uh, you know, working within, within the confines of Western medicine, of, of anything outside of Western medicine, and just get a large database that's searchable that people can go to. And then we'll really find out what starts to work. For sure. I love that idea. I've never heard of that before, but I love it. And I love that new ideas like this come from meeting new people who are experts in their field and kind of talking with them about solutions. You know, this isn't something that one person is going to come up with. It's going to take a lot of people just like you working together to kind of come up with these ideas like the case studies. And the thing is, this should be easy to do. Uh, we have electronic EMRs. Everything gets documented digitally. So it shouldn't be that hard to publish it in something like PubMed for every single patient. It should be a pretty automated process. And it does kind of make you question, why aren't we doing that? Why do we only look at lab-based settings and not the real world settings? And even when we learned evidence-based interventions, they kind of told us, you know, discount the case studies because it's only worth looking at one person. But it's like, what if we had a thousand case studies that showed that exact same thing. So if we think about something like lumbar traction, for example, 
in the physical therapy world, our clinical practice guidelines are very against lumbar traction. Not a good thing. Yet in the clinic I'm currently at, kind of an orthopedic setting, we have a ton of patients with lumbar radiculopathy. So what do we do? Five minutes of manual lumbar traction. What happens? All their symptoms centralize. Pain levels go down. Things get better. So there's a lot of discrepancies, kind of like you said, between the research and real world. And it's time we need to kind of make the evidence match what we're seeing on a day-to-day basis and not, you know, our ideal perfect situation because we're never going to get that. And we know that it's just time we need, we need to uh, be better about it. Exactly. With that, thank you so much again for your time and for joining us on this episode. And for those listening, make sure you head over to Amazon, buy his books, because there is nothing quite like these books, the literature and the content he's putting out. Make sure you go follow him on Instagram over at Dr. Stefan Hussey. And make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss our second episode with them coming out on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.